The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. We were talking, um, Mike and Mel and Tracy and I all traveled together over the weekend and we were talking on the way back up here how we were excited that it's springtime again and we can start to cook out and things. It, it's, it may rain today, so it might not be a good day for it today, but um, I'm glad. Makes makes my heart happy to see you all enjoying being with each other. Um, and I'm looking forward to spending some time out there after services this summer with all of you. So, we are... Um, starting a new series today, and since, hi, how are you? (laughs) Do you all remember that story when the, the kid was bugging Jesus and his disciples were like trying to shuttle the kid away and maybe it was kids even, and he said, no, let them come to me. And you have to have faith like a little child to see the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) No, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus, but it's clear that you are not comparing yourself to a little child. (laughs) I'm I'm pegging you for Peter, I think. Oh, that's right. Jason just points out that it was Judas who handled the money. Uh, for the <laughs> and he is our financial officer. He, he has never tried to kiss me, though, so that's good. <laughs> uh, Mike, when you're editing the podcast this week, you can start it now. <laughs> um, I'm Scott, and it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, we are starting a new series today, and since I'm the first one to preach in this new series, that means I um, am not only charged with giving the first message, but also with setting the table a little bit and giving you the, uh, the context and, and getting you ready for the whole series. And this series is going to take us through the next couple of months. And as you can see from the slide behind me, that the, the title of this series is Healthy Missional Church. And we're using the book of Ephesians as our basis for this topic. And I was thinking that probably, I'm, I'm not going to give you any definitions of what we mean when we say healthy and missional. So without any, of, uh, any preconceived notions in mind, uh, I bet, I'm not going to do this, but if I asked for a show of hands among all the people who attend Artisan, asking you all whether you thought it was more important for us to focus on our health or it was more important for us to focus on our mission, I wouldn't be surprised if there was roughly a 50-50 split in this body of believers. Roughly two equal halves. Uh, and I think that's actually that's a, a little bit of a tension that we've felt over the past year or two here at Artisan. Not, not tension like angry at each other tension necessarily, but just tension like these two ideas 
sometimes pull at each other. And it's sometimes hard for us to know which one we ought to focus on. Am I right? Do you agree that I've assessed the situation here <laughs> accurately? If you think back, if you were at um, not this most recent gallery, all church meeting, but the one before that, we had some conversation about uh, this, this type of thing. What should we, how much should we be concerned with uh, the spiritual care of our congregation versus um, outreach? And so if I ask the congregation, should we focus on our health or should we focus on our mission? I think probably, as I said, it'd be roughly 50-50. And when I ask myself that question, should we focus on our health or should we focus on our mission? My answer is yes. <laughs> Dave says it's a cop-out. Well, get used to it. <laughs> I think that we ought to do both. Big surprise. So let me pause now and and define the terms for you uh, so that you have a sense of where we're going with this series. Uh, Jason has has defined it, um, as you've heard him talk over the past couple of weeks as we've been getting ready for this series, that being healthy means pursuing Christ and being missional means pursuing Christ's priorities in the world. And I think that's a pretty nice, concise uh, definition of these terms. But given the, the setup that I just made, we might also say that being healthy means caring for ourselves and being missional means caring for others. You could think of it either way. And either way you think of it, you can probably see how these two ideas flow into each other a little bit. Depending on which side, depending on which answer you would have given when I asked for that little straw poll, you might think that one leads to the other more than the other leads to the one. But I actually think it's a, um, not a vicious cycle, but a, a virtuous cycle, you might say. That a healthy church naturally flows out into mission. But also that a church that has decided to be missional is more likely to become healthy along the way. So it's a virtuous cycle because both of those things are good. And when one good thing leads to another good thing, which leads back to the first good thing, that's a lot better than one bad thing leading to another bad thing, which leads to the first bad thing, which is sometimes how we feel life goes, isn't it? Let me tell you another virtuous cycle that I think I see in this in this uh, title of our series. I think that healthy missional churches are made up of healthy missional people. <laughs> and I also think that healthy missional people make churches into healthy missional churches. <laughs> now, don't confuse healthy and missional people with people who have everything figured out. <laughs> people who have... have come to the point where they no longer sin. That is not what I mean, because that is, uh, well, that's, that's a pipe dream <laughs> in, this, in this life. But I do think that when we are healthy and when we, when we have cared for our souls, we are more likely to care for the souls of others. And I also think, just like with the churches, when we spend our minutes and days and lives caring for the souls of other people, that is very healthy for our own souls. 
So we've got two virtuous cycles going here when we talk about being a healthy missional church. And so when we go through this series for the next uh, couple of months, you will sometimes hear us talking about things that seem like it's more about health of the church. And sometimes you'll hear us talking about things that seem like it's more about the mission of the church. But I want you to remember all the way through that, that those things flow into each other, back and forth, all the time. So that's our title, Healthy Missional Church. Our source for this series is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, or as some scholars think of it, probably not Paul's letter to many churches in Asia Minor, one of which was in Ephesus. <laughs> um, but we don't need to get too deeply into that question of authorship and target. Um, though it is worth realizing that the book of Ephesians, in contrast to some other uh, of Paul's letters, doesn't seem to be written with very specific problems at a very specific church in mind. If you read the letter to the Corinthians, there's like, he's calling people out by name, saying, you know, slap that guy upside the head, <laughs> you know, these two need to stop bickering with each other, and so forth. Uh, but in Ephesians, it's very general, very generic, and it's very sermonic. And he spends the first half of the letter laying a theological foundation for the second half of the letter in which he starts to get into some of the ethical content that he wants to share with this church or churches. And so today, uh, we're going to look at chapter 1, and if you want to look along in your red Bibles, I'd really encourage you to do this. I don't have the text on the screen behind me, but I want you to read the text as we go, and I'm actually going to ask you to follow along with your finger and do something in a second. So get your red Bibles out. They're under your chairs, and it's on page 949. You can also follow along in your own Bible if you prefer. That's fine. <clears throat> And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read this whole chapter to you. And what I want you to do is, however it's helpful to you, maybe it's helpful to follow along with your finger and sort of tap the page uh, every time this happens, but I want you to keep track of how many times that Paul says, or Paul mentions Jesus. Now, sometimes he says Jesus, sometimes he says Christ Jesus, sometimes he says the Lord Jesus. Whatever he says when he's talking about Jesus Christ, I want you to keep a tally in your head. Count on your fingers, do whatever it takes, make little hash marks on paper or something, um, like you used to do in college every time the professor said, um, or something like that. Because for the Apostle Paul, Jesus was his verbal pause, apparently, as we'll see. So follow along uh, as we read chapter 1, and keep track, and I want you, I'm going to quiz you at the end and see if you got the right number. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us, for, destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. It's a capital B, so you can probably count that one. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. Now, don't lose count, but I'm going to pause here for a second. In verse 12, Paul says, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. And then in verse 13, he shifts his pronouns, and he says, in him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into this today, but this will be important in a couple of weeks. What Paul is doing here is making a transition from talking about the Jews, including himself, when he says we, he's talking about the the, the first Christian believers who were Jews. And then he's writing to a Gentile region and saying, in him, you also. And so all that stuff that you read in the, that I just read in the beginning there, including all that stuff about predestination, not that we're going to have that theological argument right now, but all that stuff, you have to think of that in the context of this is about the Jewish people, and now he's transitioning this chapter and talking about the Gentile people, and this is one of the themes that that Paul will talk about in the book of Ephesians is how these two groups who were at odds, the religious insiders and the religious outsiders, are now one in Ephesus and in other churches in the region. So pick it up in verse 13. Do you remember what your count was for the Jesus things? In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Now, How many times did Paul mention Jesus in that chapter? 14. In 22 verses, 23 verses. That's like, what, one every, how many verses? (laughs) Math is hard. (laughs) Every 1.3 verses or something like that. He says it a lot. (laughs) You could quantify that. 
but let's, quali- let's do it in a qualitative way. He says it a lot. <laughs> and that's just, I mean, I believe 14 does not count all the pronouns at the end, especially where Jesus is saying him and his and all that stuff, where, he's, where Paul is saying that about Jesus. Um, so it's very clear, strictly from the numbers, that Christ ought to be at the center of our thinking. For the book of Ephesians, this is the foundation that Paul has laid. And for us, since we're using the book of Ephesians as a basis for our topic, which is healthy missional church, that foundation is the same foundation. Everything we talk about during this series will flow from Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the work that God does in our lives, how that flows from Jesus. We're going to talk about the unity that becomes possible between religious insiders and religious outsiders and how that's possible because of the work of Christ. We're going to talk about the ways that God gifts us and equips us for service and for mission and how he does that through Jesus Christ. So everything we talk about flows from Jesus. Everything Paul writes about in Ephesians flows from Jesus. And I hope that that's not just true of us while we're doing this little series here, that we make Jesus the center of everything. I hope that everything we do as a church, inside these walls, outside these walls, in the summer, in the winter, in 2005 and in 2015 and beyond flows from Jesus. Now, speaking of mission, we have a pretty nice mission statement here at Artisan. Kind of proud of it. Does anybody know our mission statement at Artisan? Uh, Some people are looking at their bulletin. I can get this. I can get this. Somebody read it out loud. Encounter God, embrace people, engage culture, right? That's a great mission statement, even on its own. And that might be a little more concise if we'd left it like that. might fit on the Lucite plaque in our lobby better. Not that we have it out there. But that's what you do with a mission statement, right? You etch it into some hard plastic and let it get dusty on the wall. That mission statement really means nothing for us as a church without those last five words. In the way of Jesus. He is the source of that mission. He is the reason for that mission. He is the power by which we live that mission out. So, Paul spends all of chapter 1 talking about Jesus Christ. He can barely say anything without throwing a Christ Jesus in there somewhere. But in that little prayer part at the end from verse 15 through 23, he really begins to describe also the incredible reasons and benefits of having Christ at the center of all we do. I want to just look at a couple of those together with you. 
He actually starts this earlier than verse 15. Um, in fact, in verse 7 is where I'd like to start this. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And as people of Christ, this is the starting point. That is the first benefit of having Christ at the center of our lives, being redeemed and forgiven. So if you are a follower of Jesus, Paul is reminding you that in Jesus you have redemption and forgiveness of all your wrongdoing. And so what I think that means for us, having grown up in a church that maybe emphasized the importance of asking for forgiveness over and over again sometimes, is that we don't actually get to dwell on that anymore. We're not quite allowed to dwell on our shortcomings as people who follow Jesus. Because in him we have redemption and forgiveness. Now, don't confuse that with saying we shouldn't be concerned about living a holy life because that's the opposite error. Uh, Just speaking for myself, that was never the problem uh, growing up. I was never in danger of anybody encouraging me not to care about my holiness. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not criticizing my parents here at all. Um, this is more a function of, of the theological place I was raised in. Um, and so for me, the emphasis that I like to make is, you know, you, you don't get to dwell on that. That is a distraction. Embrace your redemption and your forgiveness and move on. Jump ahead to verse 17. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. That's the second benefit of having Christ at the center of all we do. Wisdom and revelation. And I really love how he describes this in verse 18. He says, With the eyes of your heart enlightened... You ever feel like if your heart had eyes, they were in the dark? This is a great little metaphor. The eyes of your heart have been enlightened. And so you don't get to be dim anymore. (laughs) If you're following Jesus and you are spiritually dim, you may need to rededicate yourself to that effort. You're not going to learn everything all at once. And if you're a very new follower of Jesus, I would expect it to be a little foggy for you. But with Christ at the center of your life, wisdom and revelation should be present and real to you. And that wisdom and revelation, I think, lead naturally to the next one if you read on in verse 18. So that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you have Christ at the center of your life, you don't get to be hopeless anymore. 
And that's, that's, it's a little bit of an abstract reality to think about how wisdom leads to hope. But it really does. <laughs> I would not claim to be the wisest person in the room, <laughs> let alone in the world. But to the extent that I have received wisdom and, and revelation over the years of my life of faith, that has led to more hope. There's this burst of hope when you first come to Jesus. And, and thankfully that doesn't go away. It c- continues to build as he's our center. And so if you feel hopeless, you may have circumstances in your life that are very challenging. And, and you might not see a way out. But with Christ at the center of your life, you don't really get to be hopeless, capital H. <laughs> and so let me reassure you that that hope ought to be present in your life. Regardless of what your circumstances may be. And then he moves on here in 18 and actually repeats something that he's said already in chapter 11, or verse 11 and verse 14. With Christ at the center, we have a glorious inheritance. So from that wisdom and revelation come a knowledge of hope, the hope to which he has called you, and also what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. Inheritance among the saints. Has anybody ever received an inheritance before? I've never received an inheritance before. But I've talked to people who do. (laughs) And sometimes that type of thing is just a completely out of the blue moment of relief and healing. Of course, there's sadness when somebody has passed on. But for the sake of this discussion, let's pretend it's a rich uncle who you barely knew and there's no sadness there at all. You just suddenly have a big check in your mail. (laughs) And suddenly you can pay off your car (laughs) or your student loan or your house or D, all of the above. And you still have money left over, maybe. Pay for your kid's college. If you're going to send them to college. I've never received that type of inheritance. I still have a big student loan and a couple of mortgages. (laughs) But I could imagine what it would be like. And so that concept is really powerful to me to think about spiritually. That we have received an inheritance that really we were not in line to get. <laughs> Especially those of us who are, are Gentiles, which is, I, I think, all of us in the room. To be the recipient of this abundant gift that really does pay off all the debts that we have outstanding. What an amazing thing. And so as people who have Christ at the center of our lives, we don't get to be spiritually impoverished anymore. 
And sometimes, some of you in this room are such savers that you would get that inheritance and you would leave all your bills on your desk and you would put that inheritance in the bank at 2% interest or whatever and you would never touch it again. And you would be sitting on a million bucks and nobody would know the difference. Because you haven't taken care of the stuff in your junk drawer, let alone helped out anybody around you who might also need a little bit of cash. And spiritually speaking, you do not get to do that. You're not allowed. You have received the inheritance from God Almighty by trusting in Jesus, His Son. And you do not get to put that in the bank. You got to start writing checks, <laughs> paying off those debts, but it's not really your money. So you're not exactly paying them off yourself, if you know what I mean. And then sharing that with anybody who needs it, whether they ask or not sometimes. And that is the way that becoming spiritually healthy flows into becoming missional. Because let me tell you, you're not going to spend down that inheritance by sharing it with other people. It's going to last. It's more than enough to cover you and everyone you know. So start writing checks. <laughs> but the catch is that all of this flows from having Christ at the center. And I think that many times, even those of us who, who are Christians and who follow Jesus are a little off-center. And so for us to become a healthy missional church, we need to be healthy missional people. And I want you to think for just a few minutes about whether you have Christ at the center of your life. Paul, in chapter 1 of the book, writes about Jesus extensively. If you're writing an essay that's six chapters long, the first chapter has to contain your main ideas. It has to contain the basis of everything else you're going to say. And so I want you to think for a minute about your own life. And if you were writing a book about your life, take that book and flip open to the table of contents and tell me what chapter one is about in your life. If, if your chapter one is about your own self-improvement, I'm sorry, but your priorities are wrong. If your chapter one is about good Christian doctrine, sorry, but your priorities are wrong. If your chapter one is about holy living, your priorities are wrong. If your chapter one is about feeding the hungry, your priorities are wrong.
You need to write those chapters, all of them, in the book of your spiritual life. But they are not chapter one. If chapter one is about anything other than Jesus himself, I would humbly suggest to you that your priorities are wrong. Because if those other ideas don't flow from having Christ at the center, they will dry up. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe it'll take years that you will go on your own power doing the thing that you think is the most important. But it will catch up to you. It has caught up to me at times in my life. And so you might need to revise chapter 1. I'm the type of person and the type of writer, actually, who does not like revision. I like to think that I'm smart enough and gifted enough to get it pretty much right the first time. And easygoing enough to really not have to nitpick. But when it comes to writing, I have learned that actually if I revise things, it does come out better. And when I've come to following Jesus and all that flows out of that, I have definitely learned that a little revision is often in order. So be thinking about your chapter one. I was thinking this week about ways to represent Christ being at the center. What symbols could I use to do that? And as you can probably guess, the first symbol that comes to mind when I think of Christ is what? Some of you have it hanging around your neck. The cross. We have one over in the corner there. Then I thought of another symbol. The cup and the bread. And as I was thinking about those two symbols, it occurred to me that we are called to the first one. We're called to the cross. Jesus says in Luke uh, 9, If anyone wants to become my followers... Let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And that's where we're called. And that we go to the second symbol, the bread and the cup, because we fall short of that first one. Because in the symbols of Christ's death and resurrection, we find a reminder of his grace. And to get to the place where we can daily take up our cross <clears throat> with him at the center and follow him, we, we have to go through grace. So if you're thinking about chapter 1 going, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this mess. Jesus, I'm not even sure he's in the index <laughs> right now. And that could be true whether you've been a Christian for 10 years or whether you're not a believer at all. Jesus might not even be in your index. I want to encourage you that that grace is there for you. And that inheritance is inexhaustible. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite you to come to the table. And partake of communion together. Well, you might want to wait for a couple of minutes and jot something down. Write some notes. Think about what your chapter 1 is and how you might want to revise it before you go there.
realizing that you're not going to be able to get it done without that grace. But that the grace is not so cheap that it will take care of the plan for you. Let's pray and then our table will be open. God, thank you for this text today. Ephesians chapter 1. And for the shining example that it is for us with Christ at the center of everything it talks about. And we pray that by his grace, you would accept us in spite of our shortcomings and our sin. And we pray also that we would have the courage to step forward in faith and receive that grace. And as we come to your table, Lord Jesus, remind us of the cross. Remind us of your death and resurrection. But also remind us that we are called to take up our own cross and to follow you. Remind us that we need your grace to do that. And then give us the assurance that we have received it. And can step forward to follow you having been made healthy people by your sacrifice and responding in mission. Pray these things in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Communion table is open and it will be open for the rest of our time together. And so come as God calls you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.